Last week, we were in the Timothy A. Dugas Hall, and so um, I wasn't on camera, so I got a little ornery, and I'll try to dial it down. So it's a different setup in there, and so it just feels differently, so I teach a little differently. But um, anyway, I'm hoping what I was saying last week was making some sense because I didn't near get through my lesson, and so I couldn't tie very much stuff together. And so I will try my best to do that. So I'll, as usual, as I say, I'll end last week's and begin this week, and then we'll just keep carrying on until 2025, it seems like, uh, to try to get through this, all of these lessons that I want to teach. I kind of, I'm going to back up just a little bit to get us a little runway of where we're talking about, of what we're talking about. And that is um, intelligent people are always open to new ideas. In fact, they're, they're looking for them. Proverbs tells us this in Proverbs 18, 15. It says, the heart of the true prudent getteth knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeketh knowledge. Solomon says it, and he doesn't mince any words. In other words, he's just saying, keep an open mind. Learn what you can. Glean what you can. Hear what you can. And we talked about, if you remember me saying that phrase, that narrow framing, and we were talking about that, this idea where you don't consider all the options. If there's three options, you may only be considering two options instead of the third. And so you have to open up your mind a little bit to, to look at all of the angles. And it's an important, it's so important to have knowledge in our heads so God can use it. It's important for us to have knowledge in our heads so God can use it. It has to connect to something. Have you ever thought of this when someone, if you're, you're familiar with this, gifts of the Spirit and someone gives a gift in tongues and then someone, an interpreter will come forth and not translate, but they will interpret it. Have you ever noticed it sounds just like the person talking? The verbiage is pretty much the same. If they're from south, thus saith the Lord. That's what they're going to sound like. God is using what they have to be used by the gifts of the Spirit or to be using the gifts of the Spirit. Understand this works in every area of our life. Some, we have to, it has to connect to something. And so we use things, and so it is important for us to have that knowledge. So Let's move on to this. Again, my whole family was very much, my mom was a teacher, so she pushed very hard. And I think all of our family has, has taught in some venue or another and have degrees and different things. It's all important part of us, and we, we believe in education. However, that only is limited to a certain area. Nothing wrong with any of that stuff. But it's also important to understand and to know what God wants from me and fill my head with some God knowledge and speak and hear what God is speaking to me and hear what God is saying to me and what he wants me to do. God is trying to speak and God is always trying to help. And the question I posed so many times last week is, are we listening? Are we listening to what God is saying? Are we listening to what God is wanting us to hear? You may still have to circle around for a week or two or a month, but the same God who began a good work in you, the Bible says, will bring it to closure. It may take a while, but you've got to listen to God throughout the whole process. And I submit to you why some of us don't want to hear God is because he's bound to tell us some things we don't want to hear. So you can't pick and choose I either hear the voice of God to tell me stop doing that and change that. 
I can also then hear the voice of God and go here and do that. It's important that I hear the voice of God in every area of my life. I remember hearing this story. There was a man, I met him, I talked with him. He was, he was this guy and he, he, they were in the uh, construction and they poured asphalt and different things. And one night, God, in a dream, God told him, buy cows. So he got up the next day and he's, he's an adult, but his whole family was kind of part of this asphalting business. So he told his dad, he said, I don't know, but the Lord told me to buy cows. And his dad was a godly man. He said, all right. He said, if the Lord said buy cows, I guess we probably ought to start buying cows. They hadn't, he said, I don't know anything about cows. So they were trying to research cows and why to buy cows. And, and so they built this little cattle ranch. And so they started dealing, I guess, in the business of cows. And right after that, the cow market, whatever it would be, shot through the roof and made this family incredibly wealthy. Well, it must have been the devil. No, it was God. You know why? Because that wealth has purchased churches and purchased things and bought things. Don't tell me God can't use that to fund revival. He uses everything. So maybe tonight if you're dreaming, God says buy cows, maybe you ought to think about buying some cows. But maybe while you're dreaming tonight, the Lord tells you, you need to stop doing that. <laughs> maybe we need to stop doing that. See, we can't pick or choose. Well, I'll take the wealthy side. No, you, we need to take all the sides because we need to be in tune with what God has told us. The Bible says that Jesus desires to give you the kingdom. He's not stingy. He's not begrudging. I wonder if sometimes we don't know what to do because we simply are not listening and asking him. Your dreams may seem like it's a million miles away, a million years off, or a million dollars away, but don't despise the day of small beginnings. God's anointing is no substitute for a solid business plan, but a solid business plan can't substitute for the anointing either. These things are not mutually exclusive. If I have to choose talent or anointing, I'll choose, talent, I'll choose anointing every single time. But I don't think we have to choose. I think we can have both. Sometimes we may not even know what the plan should be. We may not even know where to start or what to do. Don't forget, we can pray. His spirit can talk to us and lead in God. We can ask God for wisdom when we don't know how to pray, when we don't know how to, what to even say in prayer. Take heart in the fact that we can pray something called apostolics. You can pray in the spirit. And the Spirit maketh intercession, Romans 8, 27. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And that's how we pray according to the will of God. Well, when the Spirit is making intercession, I promise it's according to the will of God. So when we are in tandem and in tag teaming with the Holy Ghost, you're never out of your league, no matter what God has called you to do or no matter what he has called you to become, no one can network or negotiate like God can. He knows everyone, he knows everything, and he searches everywhere. 
So then I asked this great congregation who is led by the Spirit of God, who is out of your league? And what is out of your depth or your grasp? The answer is no one or nothing, not when you have the Holy Ghost on your side and on the inside of you. Because that prayer, if it's in alignment with the will of God, it is not null or void. It will come back and reproduce a harvest. If it's not God's will, you're not going to get whatever you ask for because God loves you too much to spoil you like that. Praying in his will asking for what he wants us to have. But if it's God's will, God will make a way. Even if it seems to be way off and out of your league, God will make a way. He has every answer to every problem. God has blessings for us and opening doors for us in categories we don't even know exist. How can I pray that when I don't even have the wisdom to pray it? Because I don't even know it's able to be prayed for because I don't even know it exists yet. That is why I submit it is important sometimes to pray in the spirit. Ephesians 3.20, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. So on our best day, we see very thin, a very thin slice of reality. But here's some good news. Long before we woke up this morning and long after we go to sleep tonight, the Holy Spirit is still searching, is still planning, is still networking, is still building, is still making a way is still speaking. We still don't have to do our, we still, I'm sorry, have to do our due diligence because God doesn't bless negligence, but we also need to trust God. He has wisdom beyond our knowledge. He has power beyond our strength and favor beyond our ability. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you once again, don't live below what God has given to you. He is your heavenly father and he has all power in heaven and earth. He can do all things. And so we need to tap into that and ask. Romans 8, 28. I'm going to read this verse as we move to the next portion of this. It's a powerful verse and it's a verse we can all get excited about except sometimes it keeps me up at night. This is one of those verses. On one hand, it sounds so wonderful. On the next hand, it's like, you've got to be kidding me. Because here's the verse, you know it well. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. That's a hard verse. It's an exciting verse. But this is the verse that takes, to me, it takes an immen a tremendous amount of trust in God. Praying for the sick, I have no problem with that. I don't heal people anyway. Do I believe God can heal? Absolutely, without one question in my mind. I've seen him do it. I know he's healed me. I know he can. Just palm that head in the name of Jesus. Whether it happens or not, that's completely up to God. I still, I trust in him, not in the healing. It's when he doesn't heal. Mm. 
If I were God, I'd heal everybody. All things work together for good. Hang on, because this is going to get bumpy. Robert K. Merton was one of the founding fathers of modern-day sociology. He coined the concepts of things you've heard of, like role models and self-fulfilling prophecy. His groundbreaking thesis was called the law of unintended consequences, and it's probably what he's best known for. Simply put, the outcome of our actions have unintended consequences that are beyond our ability to control. You can make a decision and think it's going to make one, that's going to be the consequence of it. You can't predict that was all the consequences of it. It's beyond our control. It's beyond our ability to even predict. And so those unforeseen consequences of every choice that we make fall into, he would submit three categories, unexpected benefits. That's the type you hear these stories they go into a Goodwill. I like this bowl. It looks pretty. And they, they buy it for $5 and then they find out it's an heirloom and it's worth $50 million. That was, I'm glad you liked the bowl. I'm glad you made the decision. That was greatly an unexpected benefit of a $5 bowl purchase. Then there's the unexpected drawbacks like the side effects of medicine. You ever heard those? This medicine is wonderful. It will cure everything. And then all of a sudden, real quiet and real fast. And if you're not careful, you're all, you know, teeth will fall out and your nose will bleed. It's just, it's just like, why don't you speak up on that part? And then at the end, sometimes it's, and it's been known to kill people. Well, thank you. And just, that's the side effects. Then there are third, he would, would submit perverse results. It's when your original intention come back, comes back to bite you. A loose example would be this. Parents instinctively keeping their babies from eating things that are dirty. All of us are like, well, yeah. But they used to have the five-second rule. We may need to reinstitute that. Because what happens, we have... You know, and again, pray. There's so many people in this church sick right now with the flu and all kinds of stuff. Uh, the choir's in trouble. So we're going to pray for all their voices and all that. So, but there's, we have all the antibacterial stuff all over the place. And we have every antibacterial things. And you come in somebody's house and the noon smell is Clorox. You know, just everything is like that. Everything's clean, clean, clean. And trust me, we want it that way. But the problem is, by not introducing some dirt to these kids, their immune system is not building. And what they found out is later on in years that they're getting sicker and sicker because their immunity is down. So all your parents let your kids eat dirt. That'd be terrible. No, we're not going to say that. But, and we're doing it out of a right thing where we just, you know, everything's sanitized and we're just real careful and nothing wrong with that except kind of in a backhanded way, it's causing, it's coming back to bite us a little bit. Genesis 50 verse 20, but as for you, Joseph said, all of you brothers, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass that it is this day to save much people alive. Joseph's brother sold him to slavery. You know the story, their intended purpose to harm their brother. That was their intended purpose. 
They didn't like him. They didn't care what happened to him. That's the evil. The unexpected benefit is the saving of some many people some 17 years later, including their own lives. They wanted evil. They wanted bad. And so I know this sounds weird, but in a, it, it came back to bite them, but it came back in a good way. Came back in the opposite of what they wanted, but thank God, I'm sure they said for that, because the sovereignty of God overrides our intentions, good or bad. Say it again, Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Whatever happens in life, God will use it for good. Mm. That's not easy to navigate. But the good news is God wants us to get where God wants us to go more than we want to get where God wants us to go. And he's awfully good at getting us there. And when we make a wrong turn, he can reroute. It may not be the original plan. You will never convince me that it was in God's original plan for those brothers to be so mean that they sold their brother into slavery. But because it happened, God was able to still use it. Every decision we make has millions of consequences. Very, very few that you can even predict. Every action we take has a million ramifications, very few of which we can control. But that's where the sovereignty of God comes into play. Because there's no contingency to the omniscient one. There's no contingency that he has not taken into account already. What's that little meme says something like, take heart. The Lord's already something about, you know, uh, took, take it into account your stupidity. So it's just like, he already knows, he's omniscient, he knows everything, and he could use anything. Some of you may have done this, there was this calendar, it was this 30 days of Thanksgiving in group me, one of my 700 group me chats with my family, you can't imagine. Anyway, we have all these different things, sports and Bible and health and why that's on there, but we'd never use that one, but it's all these different, they're trying to categorize because it got too busy. So all this stuff. But one of them was the day that Thanksgiving, they labeled it Thanksgiving. And it was 30 days of Thanksgiving. It would say like, you know, this day, one day, tell you what to thank for, something near you, and you'd have to, whatever was in the room around you, they're thankful for. And all the family was posting on this stuff. So we did this, 30 days. And day 29, it says, thankful for a past event. And mom wrote, February 4th, 1966. God changed my life with a four-cent stamp. She acted like we all knew the story, and I'm sorry to tell you, I forgot to ask her the story, so I can't even tell you the story. So someday in my next sermon, I'll have to tell you the story. I don't even know what the story was. But from her, she remembers February 4th, 1966, it was a four-cent stamp, and her life was changed. How little. But because her life was changed, my life was changed. I wasn't even born yet. 
my life was altered, all my siblings' lives were altered, the people we have taught or the people we have ministered to in whatever way we've touched people's lives, good or bad, they have all changed because of a four-cent stamp. You can trace everything back to certain things, and there's thousands and tens of thousands and possibly even millions of consequences or, or things that happen because of a day or an event that God can use. Again, when things go from bad to worse, that's when it's tough to trust God, but he can use anything. Again, maybe I'm just talking to myself. This is hard for me. I've said it a thousand times. So this is hard for this to get in my head. He can use anything. All you see is the perverse result. Like in the account of Joseph, it was the unfair imprisonment. That was unfair. That little guy, I mean, if we had assessed that family where he was the dad's favorite and he bought him all this special stuff, yeah, his dad didn't do a real good job and I could have probably told him a little bit how to parent better. I'm <laughs> just kidding. So the point is, he did all of that. And yeah, there was mistakes and he was a little guy and he was telling the dreams and maybe he was a brat, I don't know, but he didn't deserve that. Sold into slavery and then in imprisonment and all kinds of stuff that happened to that guy. And it took years and years and years for the unexpected benefit to come into play. When he was at the top, second in command, and his brothers came and bowed before him, click, all of a sudden everything started making sense. Up until that time, well, I'm not sure. I don't know why they did it. I don't know why nobody's come and checked on me. Nobody's even looking for me. Nobody even cares about me. They think on and on and on. It took a long time for all things to work together for good. Proverbs 16.9 tells us, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. Go ahead and plan. I think it's important and you should. But God is ultimately in charge. I hope you let him be. And they are far better. The plans that he has and the motives he has are far better than anything we can think or even imagine. Because you don't want your plan to succeed if God has a better one for you. I thank God now that I look back for unanswered prayers. Ugh. I can't even describe to you who I'd be married to right now. I thank God for unanswered prayers. I thank God for every time he said no or he was silent. and something. I thank God for all those now. At the time, I was pretty miffed at him. And it took a long time for things to work together for good. God promises unexpected benefits even in the worst of circumstances. It is not an immunity card. Listen very closely. Bad things still happen to good people. But God does promise an unexpected benefit. He works all things for good. With the emphasis on all things. It might take a month, a year, a decade, and hear me out. In some instances, time won't tell. Only eternity will reveal that there are no exceptions to this promise. 
But if I believe any promise, I need to believe that one also. That it does not matter what happens in my life or your life. He's going to redeem it somehow. Did he cause it? No. Did bad things happen? Yes. But there's benefits when living for him and trusting in him. You do your job, which is obedience, and God will do his job, which is everything else. He will prepare good works in advance. He'll order your footsteps, and he'll make all of the unintended consequences work together for your glory and for his glory. Think with me for a moment, okay? Jesus came and he was talking about a mustard seed, a little bitty mustard seed. And he said, when you plant that mustard seed in the ground, it grows into a tree. He says then, you know me and birds, but let's talk about them for a minute. He says then, the birds come and make a nest in there and that's their houses in that tree. The farmer did not plant the mustard tree seed to make a tree for the birds to house themselves in. He planted the tree so that a crop would become, so a crop of mustard seeds so he could have mustard on his hot dog, I guess. He got a harvest. That's why he planted the mustard seed. The byproduct was that the birds had houses to dwell in and that people had a shade underneath for a picnic. When your plant, when you plant your seed of faith, you never know where the branches are going to go and who it's going to help and who it's going to bless. It's beyond your consequential capacity to even hazard a guess because God does great things. He does things greater and bigger than we can even imagine. This is why I say just do your part of being obedient and God will do everything else and you can't even fathom what the everything else is going to be. God uses our seeds of faith to accomplish things we don't even know and we did not even set out to accomplish. So don't tell me God isn't ordering footsteps. Don't tell me God isn't preparing good works in advance. We waste so much time worrying on, about consequences we cannot control. I'm not saying make foolish choices. You understand that. I'm talking about being obedience to him. But there are things we can no longer and can't or just we cannot control. And sometimes we focus on that all the time. We have to quit focusing on the outcome. The increase is God's responsibility. Our job is planting and watering seeds of faith. Some planted, some watered. Then what happened? God gave the increase. I can't control that. I'm called to be obedient. God gives the increase. That's up to him. If the increase is two people baptized, as long as we're doing our part, God gives the increase. But I have a feeling if we'd be obedient and we'd do all our part, we're not going to be able to baptize people fast enough here because he'll give the increase. It's not his desire that any perish, but all come to repentance. All, that's another word. That's a big word. That means everybody. Keep praying, keep trusting, keep working, keep planning, keep seeking after God because there's so many wonderful things he has planned as long as we stay in his will. We can't even fathom. Let's move on just a little bit in this lesson. 
Still talking about this same verse, Romans 8, 28. But while overseeing a, uh, the demolition of a wall in the ancient city of Rosetta, they uncovered a 1,676-pound slab of black granite stone. They were demolishing this wall, and they, they found this. They saw this stone. The, the guy that was overseeing it was smart enough to say, something's different about this black granite stone. He could see some markings on it. And I'll butcher his name, but the next guy was, or, or I'm sorry, this guy, his name is Pierre-Francois Bouchard, whatever. He could have just ignored it. But again, something was special. And, and then there was another guy by the name of Jean-Francois Champollion, whatever. He, it took him two years. He looked at this stone. He deciphered this stone. He added stuff up. He continued to look over that took two years of this type of work, but he finally broke the code and it unlocked the ancient civilization of Egypt because now they could read the hieroglyphics and they could read so much of the ancient language and they could tell history because of that stone deciphered. I think sometimes this 28th verse of of Romans chapter eight, this all things work together for good, I don't mean to cheapen scripture, but follow me for a second. Maybe the Rosetta Stone of scripture. Few things are more comforting or more exhilarating than knowing that God is the one putting together the jigsaw puzzle of your life. Jigsaw puzzles, do you work them? I love puzzles. It's a a family thing right now. If you go to my mom and dad's house, I promise there's a card table somewhere with a puzzle on it. It's just part of our life. We love puzzles. The key to a jigsaw puzzle, though, is the picture on the top of the box. It's so much easier to work when you know what you're working. Without it, without that top, good luck. And I think that's why so many of us feel helpless and hopeless at times because the pieces of our lives don't seem to fit together and we can't see God's vision for the whole thing. We don't see the box cover because you can't. Romans 8, 28 promises that God will make every piece fit in the most efficient, effective, and beautiful way possible. There will still be experiences that won't make sense, possibly until we get to heaven. And there's nothing good about the bad things that people do. Let's call it like it is. Evil is evil. Sin is sin. But this does not negate Romans 8, 28, because whatever happens, this verse tells us, that God promises to recycle it and to redeem it and use it for your good and for God's glory. Bad things do happen to good people. But I'm here to remind you the fight is fixed. In the end, we win. So don't let your mistakes or someone else's choices put you on the defensive. It's okay to mourn. It's okay to be upset. It's okay to be sad when things like that happen. But please, don't get stuck there. Oh. Don't throw a pity party, no matter what you've experienced. You're not a victim, you're more than a conqueror. 
That's what the word says. Some of your earthly experiences, again, won't make sense until eternity. I can't promise you a painless existence. Life happens. But remember this life is a vapor. In God's economy, your temporal pain can result in someone else's eternal gain. Are you willing to go through something so someone else can be saved? Oh, don't that. Well, if it's that, we're out of milk and we have too much cereal. Yeah, I'll go through that. No, I'm talking. Are you willing to go through some things where God can use your life so that someone else will be in heaven because of that? Well, that's a tough question. It is a terribly tough question. Cross is history's greatest injustice. The creator nailed to something he created by his creation. But even that, God used for good. If God can do that with a cross, he can redeem your pain, your failures, your fears, your doubts. Let me say another hard statement, but it's still true. If every day were a good day, there would be no good days. It's the bad days that help us appreciate the good days. Without them, we don't have a comparison point. But sometimes we get it all mixed up and we don't think correctly. Maybe I can say we, can, we start comparing but we do it unfairly. You're going to have to hear me because I don't want people to go out. So we can't be sad about anything. That's not at all what I'm saying. But I want you to think about something. If you have more health than illness, you're more blessed than a million people who won't survive today. If you've never experienced battle or imprisonment or torture or starvation, you're better off than 500 million people on this planet. If you attend a church service like tonight without fear of harassment, arrest, torture, or death, you're more blessed than three billion people. If you have food, clothes, a roof overhead, and a place to sleep, you're richer than 75% of the world. And hear this one out, all you college students. If you have money in the bank or your wallet or even just some spare change in that top drawer, you rank among the top 8% wealthiest on the planet. If you can read, you're more blessed than 2 billion people. So count your blessings, absolutely. There's always someone worse off than us. But that doesn't mean you play some kind of sadistic game where you revel in other people's misery. That maybe ought to heighten our Christ-like compassion when we realize how blessed we truly are. Flip it around. Nor is it to say that you can't feel pain or you can't be upset when bad things happen because someone else has it worse off. You know, these people's, you know, well, I'm very sad, you know, my neighbor, making something up here. My neighbor's a good, good friend. They passed away. Well, I'm sorry, but it's nothing like your parents passing away. 
always try to compensate. And that's the wrong time. Don't do that. Point is, yes, there's always someone worse off. There's always someone better off. My point in tonight is making sure we don't get fixated on all the negative all the time and get stuck there. It can always be better, but it can always be worse. Abram Maslow, a psychologist, you may have heard his name before, Abram Maslow's hierarchy of needs, very powerful thing that I've used before. But all you have to do, he said, is go to the hospital and hear all the simple blessings that people never before realized were blessings. Things like being able to urinate, sleep on your side, being able to swallow, to scratch an itch. We don't think a thing of that until you can't. Fascinating study at the University of Wisconsin was the relationship between perspective and satisfaction. Control group was shown pictures of Milwaukee in the 19th century, these hardships. It was just, it was the turn of the century. It was just, it was awful. It was just terrible, deplorable state that these people, and just pictures of these. And they showed them these pictures, this control group, and the resulted in measurable increases of satisfaction for them. Why? Because compared to how things were, we don't have it bad at all. Similar experiment at the State of University of New York. Subjects were asked to complete the following sentence. And it said, I'm glad I'm not a fill in the blank. And after five repetitions, there was a measurable increase in levels of satisfaction. Because I'm glad I'm not that. Well, so I don't have to feel so bad about this. But then another group asked to complete this one. I wish... I were a blank. And the net result was measurable decrease in levels of satisfaction. The phenomenon is the contrast effect. Simply put, how you see anything depends on your reference point. One way or the other, your focus will determine your reality. So I ask you, what are you focusing on? What is your baseline? Have you ever got in a hot tub and then ran across, got in a swimming pool, a cold swimming pool, and then ran back and got in the hot tub? That hot tub seems 1,700 times hotter than it did before. It's the contrast effect. I remember a little boy, we were at a Christmas party at my grandma's house, and all my uncles and stuff, they were doing this, and they had one of my uncles sit there, and they were, you know, spooking us little kids out, I guess. They, all right, all, everybody pushed on his head, so all of us little kids, we were pushing on my uncle's head as hard as we could, pushing down, pushing down, pushing down. All right, get under his legs and, and pick him up. Well, at first, I'm sorry, back up, they had us try to pick him up, and all of us little kids, we couldn't pick him up. And then we pushed down on his head. It had nothing to do with it. We pushed down on his head, and they said, all right, pick him up. I was like, well, shoot, we about threw him through the ceiling. Because if you lift a really heavy weight and lift a lesser weight, it seems even lighter. In that way, it's a little bit different. We were using different muscles, but still it was just all of a sudden we could do that. So what's this have to do with Romans 8, 28? I don't know. No, really I do. When you believe that all things work together for good, it helps redefine the bad things that happen in your life. When you interpret Life through the prism of Romans 8.28, it gives you a quiet confidence that everything is going to be all right. Even when your life seems like a jumbled mess, 
You trust that the same God who created order out of chaos in the book of Genesis is the same God that will make your life make sense someday. I'm not smart enough to know what God, what, what's good for me and what's bad for me and everything in life. Sometimes I get it right. Sometimes I get it wrong. I, I try my best and I think we should. The key is making a distinction between immediate good and ultimate good. I don't believe Romans 8.28 promises immediate good all the time. And everything give thanks. That's a tough one. All things work together. You're standing at the casket of a loved one. Really? Because we are fixated with the immediate, the here and now. I can't answer the questions I wish I could. I'd write a book, be a billionaire for that one. I don't know why this stuff happens. I can't, because I'm not God. But if you believe anything in Scripture, please believe all things work together for good. I don't know when and I don't know how, but that's what he says. We love this in church speak. We say things like, God, God, God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. We usually say that after a powerful testimony of him providing and making a way. I've watched before and I've mentioned it even. You watch Facebook and somebody said, well, I ran, they, had, they ran the test and they found it. It wasn't cancer. It was just uh, something. I, I had a little thing, whatever it was. And they, they would post, God is good. And I'm thankful for that. Yes, and God is good. And amen. But if the test came back, it was, it was cancer. God is still good. It's easy to say on the one side. It takes a whole lot of faith to say it on the other side. But come what may, this says God is good. And I'll hang on to that because he is good. It doesn't mean bad things are good. It doesn't say that. It does mean that no matter how bad things are, God can turn them for his glory. Where have you been wounded? That's often where God uses you to help others. Somehow, some way, God redeems everything. Stand, if you would, in this place. Won't you pray? Help us trust you, O oh God. When the waves are so high and the storm is so fierce, we can't see your hand, we can't even hear your voice. Help us to still trust you, O oh God. Lord, help us to believe every word that you've given to us through the, your word. Lord, the ones that are easy to wrap our head around, the ones that are a little bit more difficult, they're still forever settled words of God. Somehow help us to flip this around 
and change our perspective that even though it's a jumbled mess and we can't see the box top of the jigsaw puzzle and we don't know what it's going to look like, we don't even know where all the pieces fit, help us to trust you that you do. You're the author and the finisher. You do all things well, and we're going to trust you, Jesus. I pray for peace in people's minds. I pray for peace in people's homes, in every situation that they're facing and coming up against. I pray the peace of God for them, oh, Jesus. Help us to trust you more and more and know that you have all things in control. Bless each one, I pray. Let us have a wonderful evening in you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great evening.